Welcome to the second episode of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, and joining me, as always, or for the second time, is Courtney Norton. Win. Hi. I was with another win this season, this weekend in uh, Charlottesville. Uh, that's right. Yes, it's uh, <clears throat> it's weird to see that name on Twitter and on scoreboards. Either you tweeted to me a picture of of the scoreboard with my last name on it, where it was kind of nuts. Yeah. They, um, they call him D Win. That's where I think. They call him D D Win. There you go. Oh, D Win. Come on, D Win. <laughs> oh, good lord! I would. I. I don't think I would be able to keep a straight face if I was there, it, like hearing that. He seems. He's. He's from having never spoken to him or interacted with him. His on court comportment makes him seem pretty likable. So. Uh, hey, man, we're good people. <laughs> we're good people. The Nwins. Um, yeah, like it was funny because people obviously used to make fun of me for giving people nicknames, and and people would ask like, oh, why why do you give nicknames so much? And I just remember like when I was in college and and when I was an attorney, like everybody referred to everybody else by their last name. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, what's Hucklebridge doing? Oh, hey, Jonesy. Hey, what's up, this guy? What up, that guy? But for me, it was always Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> And so they came up with a nickname, which was kind of where the C-note thing came from. But um, people would come up with, like, weird nicknames for me, but they never could just call me by my last name. Like, they always, there's always a pause to make sure that they were pronouncing it correctly. It's tough. And then they just, it made them uncomfortable, so they just moved on. It's tough. I remember when we were picking up our credentials in Cincinnati together, the guy said your, I said my, I said Rothenberg, and he found that one okay. And then you said Ann or something. He said, ah, Nugent. Or something yes. Yeah. Ted Nugent. I've I've heard that one before. Yep. Um, yeah. Nugent is is common because people just really, really, really want to pronounce every single letter that's in that last name. Yep. Um, but you don't. You really you really <laughs> need like one and a half of them actually. Yeah. It's basically whatever anybody asks. I'm like I'm just like just say win and add an N in front yep. and that's pretty much how you pronounce it. Win. Yep. Win. So yeah. Uh, so anyway, I don't know if you get context <laughs> for what who Daniel the win is because obviously. We talk about obscure people. He's more obscure than usual. He was on the USC tennis team that I saw this weekend that we'll talk more about later. They won a tournament, so they were pretty happy. So, win one, and that was great. <laughs> Let's go to our uh, Nole 2012 candidate, Ay Victoria Azarenka. That's right. She didn't big... drop a yeah. She didn't drop a set all week in Doha. Um, you know, she's now 17 and 0 for the year. You know, for for all of the, whatever, 67 weeks or whatever it was with Wozniacki, for all of the moaning that, that um, maybe not from WTA fans as much as just tennis fans, mm-hmm. um, for as much moaning that everybody has kind of been engaged in for so long about a non-dominant number one, Victoria Azarenka is putting that to bed. We can't really argue that quite yet. You I, know, I saw I, some I, stats that she was the first number one to, new number one to win her first tournament in a long time. I forget what the actual number is, but it was a while. Yeah, no, it's 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 an impressive run. I think that you know, unfortunately, if you want to add asterisks or if you want to say, but um, you know, she hasn't faced Serena, she hasn't faced Kvitova, she hasn't faced Wozniacki yet, which is it's weird to think that like it'd be relevant the fact that she yeah. hasn't faced Caroline, but I think that it actually is because I think their matches are. She doesn't have a great record against her, does she? She doesn't, not against Caroline. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, I think that, that that should be interesting. Obviously, she wouldn't be able to face, um, you know, it's almost, I mean, talking about Djokovic, it's, it's almost similar to what, you know, people were saying last year, which is that he hadn't, he didn't face Rafa until Indian Wells. Right. So, you know, while he, he did, a, I mean, obviously he beat Fed, I think, twice uh, before he hit Indian Wells. Um, and then obviously he, he beat Murray in the final at Australia. Um, there, you know, so there was a little bit less doubt, but there was an idea of like, well, wait until Novak plays Rafa. Rafa that, was then, number one there. Exactly. It took, it well, took Novak a, until Wimbledon to get number one. That's and It took Azarenka the first, I guess she won Sydney before the Australian Open, but really the first real statement tournament win for her was the Australian mm-hmm. Open. So for sure. It came for sure. I mean, her. to me, I, I think that if she wins Dubai, well... Okay, I have to backtrack a little bit um, because going into today, I had it in my mind that if, if she won Dubai, then I think that officially you have to capitalize the streak and, and it's officially a thing. I mean, a really impressive thing. I think that the fact that Kvitova withdrew 
changes that a little bit because that draw becomes remarkably weaker right. um, with without Kvitova. And no so, Serena also there, too. And no Serena, obviously. No, you know, Lee Nas out of it. Vieira's out of it. Not that those two particularly matter at this point, but um, no Kim. Well, Lee, Lee, but, Na, uh, Lee Na was it would have been a contender because she did have a pretty solid start to 2012, despite absolutely. how that how she handled four match points, was it? Yes. By the, by the yeah. way, just in case to close the loop on this, I looked it up. Uh, Wozniacki leads Azarenka 5-2 head-to-head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that maybe I, so I look forward to that. I, I really hope that those two play. Uh, I guess it would be a semifinal yeah. in Dubai. So that, I think that would be interesting. But it, but you look at everybody else on the other half of the draw, and it's pretty much if Victoria, if, if Azarenka beats Wozniacki, she's pretty much going to walk away with, with the title, I think. And Wozniacki's um, not being penciled into the semifinals like she once was not at all not at all she's 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 basically got to earn it all back again you know i mean that's just the cruel thing about this sport is how quickly fortunes change from week to week from month to month and um you know i find that to be to be one of the more compelling things i was actually talking to um i had a phone interview with stozer last week and was asking her a little bit about that about about you know obviously the aussie and and um the u.s open and how you know i kind of basically my my question was you know is it easier for you this year you know you 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 slumped a little bit obviously we're still very early but is it easier for you to kind of deal with everything she said yeah you know having the, the slam definitely helps but at the same time it's not like i got an opportunity to really enjoy it because i was competing almost immediately and so she was just kind of saying you know that's the thing about this sport you just you don't have any time to enjoy or or on the flip side be down on yourself um for very much time because you're back at it the next week so on that treadmill completely yeah i mean and and it was just really funny because you know i asked her you know is is, do you like that about tennis or or you know and and she kind of said well I couldn't imagine playing one of those sports that where everything came down to the world championships or the Olympics right? even like, worse every that, but that was the thing she brought up world championships and she said, Oh, that that's just, I mean, you, you mess that up and you have to wait another year. And I said, well, well, yeah, I mean the Olympics, I mean, can you even imagine the amount of pressure that, 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 that entails for swimmers, for gymnasts, for, you know, track and field athletes, things like that. And, and she, you could, you could literally hear her voice almost like, erupt in in nervous laughter yeah. at even the thought of that pressure yeah like she's just like seriously i can't even imagine it like that is just you know and um it, it was an interesting like moment it, it's not something that would translate on paper but it's uh you could definitely sense that for her she was like that's absolutely insane i would freeze under that amount of pressure it's, it's a thing that almost makes it easier to be a tennis fan of like a single player i think because they have a lot more opportunities to have a career crowning achievement than if you're rooting for like a team sport. They're mm-hmm. four a year. And so that quadruples your chances, pretty much. Yeah, and, and it was interesting. I was listening to, um, there was an, this isn't a shameless plug, I promise this is relevant, but um, SI.com tennis podcast um, this week, John Wertheim in, in, interviewed Brian Billick, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, who's apparently a huge tennis fan. I mean, he spoke about tennis like, conversant the way that you and I would be conversant about it. It was quite impressive. Did, did Ivan Dottig come up? <laughs> Ivan Dottig did not, but that's only because they didn't use a random number generator. Oh, that's too bad. So, yeah. Billick and, and Wertheim were kind of talking about how, you know, with tennis, all it takes is seven matches played across two weeks to absolutely transform a career. And that can happen at any point in time. That could happen when you're 15 years old, and that can happen when you're 30. Yep. And um, that aspect of tennis is a ridiculously unique thing. Um, you know, I mean, golf it, has it too. Yeah, I was gonna say golf. Golf is I was almost just... more so. Golf people come really out of nowhere to win golf tournaments, especially. Yeah, it's funny. Tin, tin, tin Cup is showing right okay. now. I was outside in the living room watching with my mom, and uh, yeah, I mean that that was the thing I was thinking about because these these billet quotes were in my head. Was that you know you can have these moments, you know, it, it's where a guy comes out of nowhere, and so that makes it that makes it exciting, but it also means that your fortunes can flip so quickly, and our memories as tennis fans and as tennis writers are sometimes necessarily. Short. Which is part of what's so remarkable about the top four in the ATP now, is that they've just been written in stone up there for what seems like forever, even though it's probably only been three, four years. It's just, it's been an immovable object in a way that does not have the sort of transient nature you would expect from a sport where everything can change in a, in a given fortnight, four times a year. 
Right. No, that's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. I want to say I, I'll I'll double check this, but I want to say something like twelve different men have won the last twelve majors in golf, or something close to that. At least ten different in the last twelve for sure. It's it's definitely. I mean, I I've seen that stat before. It's definitely skewed towards parity. <laughs> you know, in a way even, that even that the WTA I, would be like, "Whoa, slow down, PJ." Come exactly. He's <laughs> like, "Hey, hey, we still got Kleisters and Serena, right?" right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that I think USA Today might have run an article about that kind of last year at some point, basically saying that everybody's talking about the WTA and about how parity is is bad and and kind of. But look at golf. It's even worse, and um, it was kind of interesting. Yeah, very much so. Well, speaking of the top four men, slight segue. One of them who was not doing so well last week, suddenly his fortunes changed, and he's back on top of the world. Not Well, not really on top of the world, but on top of Rotterdam. Just start. <laughs> it's the lowlands. It's the nether part of the world. But it, <laughs> oh. uh, it's just, I'm rolling my eyes at myself, sorry. But, uh, yeah, so Roger Federer is all right in the kingdom of Fed, do you think? Well, I mean, it, it's hard because it's it's almost like with Fed, like indoors is kind of like Rafa with clay. Yeah. So, you know, just for the most part, the major on it. Exactly. So it's like he gets there and he wins, and it's great. But how much does that really tell you about where his game is at? You know, in a broader sense, it's tough to say. I mean, he he played well, you know, but Davidenko had him on the ropes, mm-hmm. yeah. definitely in the semifinal. Um, if 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 Nikolai doesn't choke, you know he would. I think he would have uh, bounced him in two sets. And so his forehand, Federer's forehand, was misfiring. He he looked just frustrated and kind of lost a little bit out there in terms of. And I don't know if that's an adjustment to the speed of the court or what's going on. But so that was a less than convincing effort. Although obviously his fight and his um, abilities to create those opportunities and and continue to put pressure on his opponents to close it out is quite interesting and and you know he uh he did that successfully so is all right in the world no <laughs> i mean it, you that's, know that's I, the thing with the top four though they just show up to these tournaments these 250s and 500s because very rarely more than one of them there at once i think tokyo when both murray and uh, nadal were there last year was a rare instance of them showing up for something mm-hmm. like that and they just take care of business they just go they especially murray especially has this mm-hmm. way of going and working through it and collecting the trophy and leaving. Yeah. And that's just and this was a sort of Murray esque Rotterdam performance for Federer. It was. Yeah. It was. And uh, you know, did you see that thing from Wertheim that said that he got a million dollar appearance? I did date? see that. That's insane. It is. Although it's not surprising. There's a there's a book that I read recommended to you a couple times called Hard Courts by John Feinstein. It yes. was written about tennis in the year nineteen ninety and it was just like it had a lot of numbers on the appearances people got. And they were a lot of low, mid, six digits back then. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that... And they weren't always for people as big as Federer. Because arguably there yeah. was no one as big as Federer in that time. So Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the guy fills the seats. He mu- They must think he's worth it. Richard Krychek must sign that check with uh, something in mind. That's very, very true. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, you know, Fed, we'll see. We'll see how it all pans out. Uh, you know, I mean, that's the hard t- part about this part of the season for the men because it's not like for the women where the women are still we. I love how I said we. Um, <laughs> the WTA still has premier tournaments, and so the top players are playing um, during this time between the Auss- uh, the Aussie and Indian Wells. Um, the men don't really have that, right? So it's tougher to kind of gauge. I mean, Dubai is is pretty big, obviously next week, but you know, we want to see at least three of the four playing in a tournament to see how it all pans out. Heck, I'll take two out of the four. We already talked about Azarenka some. How about Stokes? You know, it was a good week for her. Um, I have the claim to fame of being the one who predicted the final, and everybody thought I was crazy was for pu- putting Stozer into the final. But the draw looked good, and I think the biggest thing was, was you know, she's a, she's very much a confidence player. There's two things with Stozer. She's a confidence player, and she's a matchup player. Matchups matter greatly to her her head-to-heads are not things that she i think is is capable of necessarily turning around one way or the other in dramatic fashions 
because I think that right now her game is where it is, and then certain players it, it, it feeds right into, and other players it just causes it wreaks havoc. Hers are more so, hers are more lopsided than almost any other top player. Not that she has a, yeah. because she has a lot in both directions. Is the thing. Yeah, I mean, what is she like? She's like not. She's like nine and now against Vera in the last eight, like seven years or something, five years. Like she hasn't lost to Vera, which is really weird. So here are the ones where she has. This is a thing on tennis form actually called punch bag. They have a thread where it's people who have a win-loss differential of more than five. With some, okay. Let's see how many times Sosa shows up. Just searching for her. So she's 0-6 against Azarenka. Yep. She's 0-5 against Kleisters. She's 1-9 against Sharapova. And that first one came with Sharapova. was a little iffy at Istanbul last, last year. Yep. She is... Now, these are the ones that she's leading. She's 6-1 against Hantukova, 6-0 against Lee, and 8-2 and against Zvonareva. So those are two, and most of the people who have these punch bags are people like Sharapova happens to be 6-0 and against Danilidou. I mean, these are not ones, right. usually they're matching against top 10 players, but for Sosa being 6-0 and against Lee and 8-2 and against Vonareva, it's pretty yep. pretty unique for her. Yeah, I mean, she, she it's, it's just kind of one way or the other. So with her, a lot of times... Like, it's about it, the flat you know, ball part... hitters, right? You see yep. who's ahead of her, Sharapova and uh, Azarenka, flat, deep hitters, and Flat hitters who can also handle the serve. Yeah. So, Azarenka handles her serve really, really well. Um, you know, and she she actually stands pretty close in to handle it. Sharapova just whacks the crap out of it. And so, for Sam, everybody wants to talk about the fact that her kick serve is so great, and it is, but it's still, you know, it's not a it's not a straight up power serve. So it still allows an opponent to get the racket on the ball. Like she has a horrible head to head against Flavia Panetta as well. Panetta stands like she's a foot from the backstop when she's returning yeah. Stozer's serve, but she gets it back. She puts it in play. She, she almost defends her return. If that's even a phrase really well against Stozer and then works her way into the point and then starts to use her athleticism and work the point and kind of works Sam over. So I got very lucky that Angelique Kerber beat Panetta in that quarterfinal at the US. Open. Yes. The draw, I was the very, draw yeah. broke a lot of the right ways for her. Yes, and and and, she she, had, and no one could say she didn't earn because of what she did in the final. But on the way there, she got yes. some break. Oh yeah, she definitely, she definitely did. So yeah, no, so so she had a good week. She, you know, I talked to her. She's feeling good. She's feeling confident, pretty relaxed. I think that, you know, the shellacking she took from Vika, it's almost kind of like, eh. yeah. <laughs> like that's gonna happen right now. And and it seems like from her post match com- uh, comments that she's she's trying to focus on the positives, which is which is the right way to go. But. You know, she has a tough time backing up results, so we'll see. You know, I, I went back and forth as to whether I was going to slaughter into the, the final this time and, and um, in Dubai, and, and I think I did. But um, anyway. Confidence players should be confident now, so. Yeah, I mean, well, but for her, it's both, though. It's confidence plus matchup. So you have to, like, look and see how confident is Sam right now, and then you have to look at the draw and see who does she have to beat to get there. So it's a bit more complicated right. i guess compared, compared to bart like what we were saying with the matchups the big players that she's beaten marion bartoli has five punch bags to her name but they're against mm. alona bondarenko jill krabis dulko ayumi marita she has somehow played seven times and shanae perry not you know not the same yeah so she's got some pretty about- some pretty good uh pretty good moose heads hanging over her fireplace episodes. do a search for vika azarenka has five also um, these are all the ones that she's... I'll find the ones that she's on the uh, losing end of it next. But she's 7-2 over Bartoli, 6-1 over uh, Chiwokova, 8-3 over Redwanska, 6-0 over Safarova, and 6-0 over Stoser. That's interesting. Because that's and then such she's, a very... She's 1-6 against Serena, and that's her only one that she's on the losing end of. That's pretty good. I was in San Jose for part of the week, um, kind of depending on how the order of play worked out. So I wasn't there every single day, um, just because it's a bit of a drive. It's nice to be able to pick and choose after having to go to every single hour of the Australian Open, though. This is true. That's true. There's a bit of a luxury there. It's quite uh, quite nice. But um, but yeah, Milos Raonic went through easily, um, served impeccably all week. I think that that one of the most telling things was I was down there for the the semifinal between Raonic and Harrison. 
which Roundage won seven six six two, I believe. Um, and the first set was quite competitive. Uh, Harrison's serving really well these days. N- noticeable change. You know, I was kind of expecting for, given their junior history, and you know, they both had to have really wanted to win this match, and you know, for Harrison to kind of uh, for Roundage run away with the the, the match um, in the second set. I kind of expected for Harrison to be a bit more kind of frustrated, mm-hmm. I suppose, or um, you know, not prickly, because I don't think he's ever prickly in, in press conferences. I don't think that's the right word. Harrison? But, uh, yeah, he, I don't he, think he's... He can be, he can be, he, he can be very blunt, if not prickly. He can be blunt, but prickly, it, I don't know, it, it may, I'm just, it's semantics. But, yeah, but I, I thought that, you know, he would show some visible fi- signs of disappointment or frustration. And his post-match press conference was great. He was, he was in, you know, he was obviously, he said, he, I was, I'm disappointed from the loss. But when Milos is serving like that, it's what can you do? He's he kind of was like, you know, I'm pretty sure I got, if my racket touched the ball, I got the returns back in, but my racket didn't touch the ball very often. <laughs> so you know, you know, kind of one of those too good, you know, press conferences. So and that's kind um, of the attitude that, you have when you play wrong, and she takes the match out of your hands. Yeah, exactly right, exactly right. So I think that that was kind of a good, good uh, indicator as to how well Milos had, was serving and hitting off the ground. Harrison said that the, the biggest change or improvement he's seen from Raonic from juniors to now is how hard he hits off the ground now, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is interesting. So um, you know all that clay work and stuff, his footwork is definitely a lot better. But yeah, so so it was quite good. I was there when Andy Roddick twisted his ankle, yeah. went down, which was unfortunate, and and it was just kind of rough to watch. I mean, he, he uh, kind of slapped the the court and and kind of yelled out. I mean, there was dead silence in the arena. Oh, he was like a roar. Yeah. Yeah. Of just frustration. I mean, it wasn't out of pain. It was just one of those like seriously again, you know, kind of things. Um, and then uh, but still was able to get up and basically stand there while Kudla kind of imploded a bit. That was a tough um, watch on that end for Kudla because Kudla is comparing it to what we because ju- last time I we saw Roddick play, he also got hurt against yes. Leighton Hewitt. And Hewitt just it was such a shark seeing the blood in the water, knowing exactly what to do with it. I mean, playing taking it, exploiting the injury as well as he could and being ruthless about it. You know, not, you know, showboating so, but just doing all the right things, making Rock as uncomfortable as possible. Whereas Kudla sort of didn't, doesn't have the experience to do that, to put it generously. Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, he was on the verge of a top 20 win of, you know, the biggest win of his career. He's 19 years old and um, and he was playing pretty well. And uh, Although the win is no, wouldn't be top 20 if he got it this week. No, not this week. Roddick is because the change in the calendar of the Olympics is Memphis points came off already. And yeah. uh, it's 500 points, running a 500. So he is now at 27, I believe. Yep. So. I believe James Lavosa tweeted that that's the lowest he's been ranked since he was 18 years old. Well, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's an incredible... It's a, it's a, it's a exactly. sort of backhanded huge silver line to that yeah no it's um you know there's two it's one of those stats that has two sides to it and how people reacted to it because i saw some because i think i retweeted it and and there were some people who took great issue uh with the with the stat on both sides so some people said well yeah but that means that he was been he's been in the that shows he's how consistent he's been and i'm like yeah that's absolutely true i don't think he's left 20 even since he was 18 yeah and then other people kind of wrote well he's been slipping for years now and this can't be a surprise and and it was inevitable and i'm like well i guess that's true too but both sides can be true true. from this seemed like a big week for milos not just on defending a title for the first time and you know winning another tournament first title title i know he won chennai didn't he so a second final after his injury comeback and really seeming to be on the right foot after a uh, pretty bad loss to Leighton Hewitt at the Australian Open. Or, you know, mm-hmm. one where most people thought he would win that match, and he didn't come all that close to winning that match. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this seemed like also a big week for just his sort of personality coming out a lot. I think so. I mean, I am, I've am i always liked Roundich mm-hmm. um, since he came up. I find there's just something kind of, I don't mean for this to sound like patronizing, but just kind of adorable about him. Like, he's weirdly proportioned. He has, like, these really long legs and if you ever see Ronich play live like this sounds so creepy and I'm sorry it's coming <laughs> off this way but when you, if you see him live like you can't not look at his legs because they are just ripped for a young guy who's that tall and lanky his lower body like his legs just look like they're just been honed on clay like you know he kind of has that look of a guy who could run and sprint back and forth and slide and, and it's just really strong legs, in the base. not like can't do- Right, you know, who has no tone, but like he just 
that that kid is strong in the base. But then he wears these tiny polo shirts <laughs> that aren't tiny. They're just that's how they fit him. And his shorts are kind of just because it's Lacoste, so they're just like a little bit short bit for what. Yeah, they're they're just short for what we're kind of used to from a North American fashion perspective. Right. And then he's got like that baby face, and it just it's all just a weird like almost Mr. Potato Heady kind of thing. Like <laughs> I took the legs here and the arms here and the top here and the head and the hair. And but yeah, no, he's he's a good kid and he's he's well spoken and he's thoughtful, analytical. And he's pretty um, lighthearted for the most part. Yeah. Like, you get the yeah. sense that like he's not some one of these players who, you know, just like constantly like on the verge of a nervous breakdown or, you know, just the, the right. grind you don't feel like the wear and tear of the tour is getting to him. Maybe it's because he plays a relatively effortless style. That he's, you know, um, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but he just... Well, it's hard, it's hard to gauge, I think, because he was out for so long. I mean, last year was his first full year on the ATP tour, and he was year. off of it for so long. Yeah, so it's hard to, you know, my biggest thing with, with Raonic is he's definitely got the talent. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's got a game that, that there's no reason that he should not be up there hovering right around top 10. But because I think that he is an all-surface player. People talk about him not being great on clay, but I've seen him play on clay. I don't think he had great results, but there's no, when you watch him play, there's no reason why he shouldn't be good on clay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting a uh, Ronich Isner French Open final. Oh, there you go. There you go. Um, but I think that the big, my biggest question is whether or not his body can hold up. Yeah. And and really only because there's no there, we don't have evidence that it can yet. It's not that, you know what I mean? Yeah, like. Sure. But I, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think that he 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 got some personality points uh, this week. He's doing some Seinfeld quoting, talking about Tim Hortons. I mean, there's a lot to like there. Tim Hortons accepting the maple syrup without making it awkward. And accepting like, the I hockey jersey like... last year too. I mean, they give him all sorts mm-hmm. of awkward Canadian gifts. Yeah, I just I don't like that. <laughs> I I just I cringe when that happens because I stop and I think about what the equivalent would be for other people from different countries. <laughs> And you could really, really cross a few lines. <laughs> That's true. Like, if Katie Nishikori wins the SAP Open, I don't even want to know. You get him, like, a samurai sword or something. I know. They're going to be like, here, we rolled you some sushi. <laughs> and um, <laughs> here's, like, a judo gi. And a Hello Kitty backpack <laughs> from Serena. Yeah, seriously. I mean, I'm just, I just, I know it's all in good fun. And I'm sure that maybe there's been, you know, backroom jokes about it between the tournament director and Milos before. And so there's context. But... Outwardly, I don't know. It's uh, it makes me uncomfortable sometimes. So where were you, Ben? You, you should probably explain what exactly the event was that you went to. Because I don't think a lot of people understand. I'm not entirely sure that I understand what I was at the last three days. <laughs> it was a uh, the college. So basically, the college NCAA college tennis season is divided up into two parts. In the fall players play individual tournaments that are still NCAA tournaments and they compete for individual rankings and it's all singles and there's no real team element to it. Obviously players still support their teammates and stuff, but they're playing for with their own names. But this tournament, which is the uh, the women play it the uh, first, second week of February and the men play it this third week of February and the President's Day weekend, is like the beginning, the real kickoff moment for the team schedule. 16 men's teams were there, led by uh, Top Seed USC, which won the final against uh, number three Ohio State today, who had beaten the host Virginia in the uh, semis. And they won 4-3, and it was very dramatic. It came down to the number five singles match, which is just sort of a weird, random... It's, it's as if, like, a Davis Cup tie went, you know, five singles players deep. And you had, I don't know, Donald Young playing against, I don't know, Marco Cudinelli or something. But they go simultaneously, they, and right? And they go simultaneously. These matches. They go simultaneously. So there's no planning. It's just, like, you throw your five against their five, and that was and the only There's six, six singles matches. They play okay. three doubles to get one doubles point, and then they play six singles. And so it's first to four wins overall, first four points. And the other five matches all went only two sets. And this number five one was the only one to go three sets. It was the last one going. And, like, all the other players were surrounding them. It was just, it's just, it's a weird atmosphere there. It's not that it's weird. It's just not what I'm used to. Because players are, like, screaming for each other all the time on other courts while they're still playing. Like, and they're also calling their own line. So you'll have someone like Chase Buchanan, who was the number one uh, player for Ohio State, will shout, like, out, let's go Buckeyes, like, all in one breath. (laughs) 
That's or weird. they'll even, it's just in lieu of even saying out, they'll just say, let's go Buckeyes, indicating that they won this point and they're happy about it. And it's just weird. Or they'll say, come on, instead of calling out. And they call their own lines, and the lines are, they're not, they're definitely not, I don't, there's not much, you know, having not seen players call their own lines for a long time in like a real competitive atmosphere, it took some getting used to from a spectating point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it took some getting used to for Steve Johnson, who was there who's played for USC and was in, in, San, in San Jose this week. That's correct. So he goes from playing uh, an exhibition with John McEnroe on Monday to these players from Ohio State and Georgia and wherever else he was playing this by the next weekend. So it's a crazy time for him to transition and just seeing it. It's, it's pretty cool. If you get a chance to go to it, I would try it out. They're colleges, if you're in the U.S. listening to this, they're colleges with decent programs, much more spread out over the country than there are tournaments. So how do they determine who hosts it? Is it just like rotate or... It doesn't rotate completely. It's based on who has the best, who has facilities that can do it, first of all. Okay. It's a 16-team bracket, and there's a very full loser's bracket. So it takes up a lot of courts. And I Mm want to say that this facility in Charlottesville called Boar's Head, I think it has somewhere around 18 indoor courts, which is a lot. Wow. At least 12. I'm pretty sure 18. So that's a lot of courts. And so there aren't, there's one, they hold in Seattle sometimes, but there's really only a handful of venues that can host this event. So, but it was a lot of fun. And I actually wasn't even intending on going to it when I went down to Charlottesville. I was just coming there to visit a friend who's at UVA Law. And then I went to a basketball game on Saturday and they had an announcement during one of the TV timeouts that, oh, there's a tennis tournament going on tonight at 6 30 you should go watch and i was like maybe i'll do that and then i saw that it was actually a big deal i recognized what it actually was because i had heard of this event and it's the second biggest tournament outside of the ncaa championships at the end of the year so it was it was cool seeing there's a lot of good players out there you can tell the differences between them and the atp guys and a lot of their uh lack of patience these a lot of players who go for stuff that's way too flashy a lot of the times really oh yeah these are players who play a lot of low percentage stuff especially because i think they're in an atmosphere they really are wearing their emotions on their sleeve and being trying to impre- show off and encourage their teammates, people go for some really crazy shots and hit them about one <laughs> out of every ten times. And when they do, they are really fired up about it. But someone someone who was playing a, a pretty... Like David David Ferreira would double-bagel all these kids constantly. Just someone sure. a steady guy, not doing much, you know. That's what it takes to be a college, <laughs> college success. I think. Not This is my expert opinion after having helicoptered in for... <laughs> two and a half days of this thing. But for, for for more expert opinions, I would ask Colette Lewis, who does the zoo tennis Twitter, who is there for all this college and junior stuff, and really, really knows her stuff. So no doubt. Time for the second installment of Take a Number. Take a number or pick a number? Which which verb do we like there more? I would say take a number. Take a number it has more of a deli feel to it. Yeah, I kind of well, yeah. That's what I, I you know, I like sandwiches. Who doesn't? fascists yeah that's probably true <laughs> so we're pulling up ultrustyrandom.org which mm-hmm. boasts that it's the most random of all the random sites so typing in which is a problematic thing to brag about because either you're ran- i mean i kind of feel like you're either random or you're not it, it's quite it's binary it's not <laughs> yeah that's, that's true we're more <laughs> random no you're <laughs> random or not we're more, we're, we're more random than we're not so <laughs> so here we go one to hundred last time we had 55 to recap Last mm-hmm. time we did fifty. Oh, do you want to do you want to recap what happened with number fifty-five oh, yeah. today? Oh yeah. So we had fifty-five, and on the women's side, it was Carla Suarez Navarro, um, who we talked about at great length. But it turns out she's dealing with a little injury problem right now, which she's had a lot lately. So she's rehabbing after her second round at the Australian Open. But the man who was fifty-five is Ivan Dodig, who today, uh, in his first match since getting the honor of having his number taken, had uh, a big win over Bernard Tomic. That's correct. In Memphis. Ran him over like a speeding orange car. Too easy. It was impressive to see. It, well, not really. It was 7-5 in the third, but... 7-6 in the third. 7-6 in the third. It was, I believe, 10-8 in the breaker, oh, wow. and Dottig saved two match points. Wow. So this really was a little bit extra he needed to get through. Sometimes it's the, it's the littlest things, and sometimes those little things are segments on a podcast. Getting one more little tag on Tumblr with the name Dottig on it. Hey, man, like, I believe in the butterfly effect, even though that was a horrible movie. <laughs> so I think that, you know, the fact that, that we uttered his name into the universe. For a while. We didn't just utter. We, his name echoed oh. around our... We ruminated. Oh, yes. We ruminated. We marinated. We bounced it around. So we're, anyway. we're about to make some more dreams come true. Today's right. random number between 1 and 100 is... 
75. Another I'm nervous when it's one of these high numbers that it's more likely to be somewhat obscure. I was also nervous we get like number one and have to talk about you. Yeah, I know. As rank and because who needs them? But uh, so much ink. Um, you you're pulling up ATP, right? Okay. Divided by gender like that. Stereotype. Of course. I got my ladies. Okay. So I am pulling up. What? What? Why don't you tell us, Courtney, who the 75th, who the woman just inside the top 75 is? On the women's side. Sure. She uh, has played 29 tournaments. Wow. She has 822 points. Okay. Which is, by the way, 322 more than both Venus Williams and Dinara Safina, who are tied at like 135 right now, I found today. Ben facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she was born on March 2nd, 1990. Okay. And her name is Anna Tatashvili. Okay. I... I, I <laughs> Um, I have some thoughts on Anna Tatashvili. I, I can do so something. Oh, well, we saw her play, didn't we? Yes, we okay, did. Okay, so and we can talk. That's where talk all my her. thoughts are. The, okay. the, uh, do you want to do Anna, or do you want to introduce her uh, dance partner tonight? Uh, let's introduce her dance partner. Her dance partner um, is one of a surprising number of American players who were born outside the U.S. He was born in the Bahamas, uh, and you know who we're talking about. How how sweet it is, Ryan Sweeting. Number seventy-five in the ATP rankings. So let's start. Okay. Let's start with Anna, ladies okay. first. So what, what do you have Tash- on her bio there for people? Because a lot of people probably have no idea who Anna Tatashvili is. That's correct. Okay, let's break this down. So Anna Tatashvili is from Georgia. Mm-hmm. She is born in nineteen ninety. Uh, right now, yep. She was so she re- so Ben and I saw her because she reached the second round at the Australian Open where she lost to Caroline Wozniacki. Mm-hmm. In I believe a three set match, right, Ben? Or two sets. Two? Second set tiebreak, I want to say. Second set tiebreak. That's right. Let's see here. She and in that second round match, if we want to just get into that match while we're talking about that, do you want to just do you want to go into it? Well, yeah, because it was, there, there, <laughs> you know, there, the hockey team I root for, the Philadelphia Flyers, has an expression named after one of its former players, Jeff Carter. It's, if someone Carters, they miss the net like by like 50 feet and like hit it high into the glass and just come nowhere near close on their shot. And well, if you're, if you're a women's soccer fan, then that's called Carly Lloyding a shot. Too so soon, go ahead. Too soon. No, no, <laughs> I just never forget. It will always be too soon. I will never forgive her for that. Salt. Continue. Rubbing the salt as hard as you can into those ones. Whatever. Whatever, but Carly Lloyding. Anna playing a singles match against Caroline Wozniacki, who is a player who's a fast player who some people say shrinks the court. Anna thought the court was enormous. Especially the back wall. She hit at least four shots that slammed into the back wall on the fly. Ground strokes that just hit this thing hard. And she did, occasionally they landed in and she hit some lines. But the misses that this, that she produced were like nothing I had ever seen before. I mean, and that's considering the fact, I mean, I totally agree with you. They were misses that I've never seen players miss the court that badly. That many times. And one, that many, yeah, yeah. It wasn't, yeah, even that a, many it wasn't a shank, it was a... This is my line drive forehand, and whoops, it didn't land. Like, I meant to hit it with topspin, and it didn't. I didn't hit it with topspin or something. I don't know. But, I mean, considering that we're saying she has, like, that how badly she was consistently me- missing the court, that was the worst we've ever seen. And we've seen a lot of Petra Kvitova, who yeah. has this tendency as well, to absolutely shank balls, like, you know, like meters out of, you know, out of bounds. There are some players who have reputations for this. Aravain uh, Rizai. Mm-hmm. Um... Sonia. Sonia Mirza, absolutely. These people who hit these laser forehands, especially forehands, yep. just can, it's all or nothing sometimes. Yeah. No control. Yeah. Um, or it's just all timing, so if the timing's yeah, off, timing, exactly. it's over. Yeah. But um, but yeah, she kind of, if you imagine, I cannot remember, I believe this was on labor, or was it high it sense? It might have been high sense, but I'm not sure. It, I think, see, I'm kind of thinking that it was high sense as well. So big let's assume that it was, in, it was on high sense. Basically, Tatashvili must have received some sort of memo that any part of the court that was blue <laughs> was in. It was regulation. Yes. It's like there's some... And if you've, if you've seen High Sense, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And backstops count as well. Yep. <laughs> so it was, I mean, that was just an incredible... I mean, because she had, she had a chance she against Wozniacki. She was in a second set tiebreak against set. the number one seed. And she was on the verge of pushing into a third set, and Wozniacki was not playing very well. And yeah, it was it was just it was just funny in a lot of ways because it was one of those ones where it was just you know 
you could just see the nerves literally spraying all over the place. And it made, yeah. I do remember, though, that she kind of had this look of bemusement. Oh, yeah. While it was all happening. Like, she wasn't freaking out, and she wasn't... It was so ridiculous what was happening that all she really could do was laugh. Yeah, she just was like, whoops. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like... If she she, she was a kid playing, you know, stickball on the street, she would have broken a lot of windows. Put it that way. Yes. But she actually, um, I don't know how much... I didn't talk to her when she came in for press after that match, but I did see her coming in and, like, interacting with people. And she Mm -hmm. brought her little sister to press with her, which I thought was kind of cute. Oh. And so, who was, like, probably eight or nine. Much younger. And, uh... So she just seemed like a nice kid. And I know that there was an article about her in the New York Times during the U.S. Open that she has a bunch of family who lives in Queens, actually. And so I guess, I don't know if it was related to when Georgia was having some conflict. She spent a bunch of time in Queens and had a hard time. And she was like seven years old finding other players to play with her because she was so much better than them. And they were all afraid of getting decapitated, imagining. So, Dude, like we just spent like five minutes ripping on her and then you bring up that and now I feel like a complete and utter jerk. Oh, see, that's that's not what I was trying to do. But <laughs> There's more to people than meets the eye. No, and, but, I, but I also think that because I, I just, I remember watching that match and I remember thinking that she was reacting in a way that I kind of liked. Oh, yeah. It made me like no, her. It was a likable match. And, it was not something where you're just like watching getting angry. It was Yeah, like if, you know, because we've seen it with like, for example, Rizai. You know, she goes and she goes on these stints where she can't hit the ball into the court, and she just gets more. Help me with a word. Um, more aggravated or more aggravated. Let's go with that. Um, you want more, more, more detail? I pulled up this article. One more detail to make your heart melt mm-hmm. for Anatolishvili. She said that she learned English exclusively by using Backstreet Boys songs. Dude, come on now. <laughs> I'm sorry, Tatashvili, comma Anna. <laughs> The other, now the I other on yeah. your heart now. No, but I, I just, I do remember before you even brought up the NBC Olympics, like Murray Carrillo style tearjerker story. I do remember thinking during that match, like I kind of like you. I, I haven't, I think that was the first time I'd ever really seen her play for a certain amount of time. But uh, you know, she's a ball basher, and she sure as heck bashes the ball. But I liked her attitude. Thank you, Anna, for your time. Ryan Sweeting. Mm-hmm. Won the ATP title last year in Houston on clay. Right. That's a uh, that's a nice win. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just clicked on his page and they say it's 78. Are you really 75, Ryan? Uh-oh. I feel like this is really bad karma if that's not him. Like, if we if we pull a number and we start talking about the wrong person. And he's in Memphis and was like, oh, Dodic, how did you do this? And Dodic was like, I was I'm on this kidding. contest. Yo, you should try to get in on this. <laughs> um, he's like, well, let me fudge, no, let me on fudge the rankings, it says... 75. No, dude, it's Melise. I see 70. On my rankings, let me refresh. Uh-oh. Do I have last week's rankings? Are you singles? I might have last week's rankings. Uh-oh. Oh. Oh, no. Yep. I'm on last week's rankings. So, dude, Ryan. So, first of all, Ryan Sweeting, we're so sorry. You're going to go on a horrific losing streak. <laughs> but Xavier Melise, we can talk about Yeah. That. Feel free to email Ben Rothenberg to complain, Ryan Sweeting. Oh. Um, but yes, Xavier Melise. You want to you want to give the bio? I okay, yeah, the actual ATP bio, which, which hopefully will confirm that he is indeed ranked seventy five. Oh, no, but hit, no, I click it and it pulls up what's on the little, this little thumbnail. His doubles ranking of twenty six. Just to try to dick with me. Oh, um, but yes, he is seventy five. Is seventy five in singles. <clears throat> um, he has had sort of an interesting trajectory to his career, where he's been, you know on like that sort of third tier of players for a very long time with a, with being not someone you want to run into but at the same time not somebody you're ever going to lose to I don't I don't know how would you describe the 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 presence of Xavier and Belize? um you know in my mind he's just he's always been a voluntary kid yeah uh which you know already is a bit of code in terms of um you know what his his game style is like, so he he has got a lot of power and um, all that. Seems like a nice enough guy um, when I see him in in uh, around tournaments and things like that. But also a guy that to me nothing ever particularly stands out. Every single every, he's a shot maker. Yep. He's one of those guys that you can see would rather make the most ridiculous shot than play the smart shot. Yeah. 
So, um, you know, that's that's gotten him to trouble uh, a few times. But, um, you know, famous for the ponytail, although he's cut it since. Um, and then the only other thing that always used to um, stand out to me about Melise is that I just always thought that he should be fitter. Yeah. Not so much, he just seemed not like, like a guy gym rat kind of guy. Not no, not, and I don't know. Like... I obviously have never trained with Savi Melise. I don't know. He's more ethic, personally. But he seems someone who, like, has some unfulfilled potential. Yes, I think that he's a lot of talent, and I think that there was, you know, that he, I mean, he came up in that whole, yeah, the, the Roddick era, right, of that whole age group yeah. with Fish and Andy and Blake and all those guys, and, and um, it just seems like he never really was able to, to tap into the commitment or maybe have the mental fortitude to really want to do everything possible to get yourself where you need to be. I think it's very interesting that this, ATP site now lists him like he's a double specialist. Yeah. So you, it's, his ranking on there is 26 in doubles, which is not like he's a top tenner. And it's not that much. It's, you know, I feel like being 75 in singles is more impressive than being 26 in doubles. Hey, man, when you win, when, when, when you win Indian Wells with the run that they had last year, yeah. I think that you would brag about being a double specialist That's as well. That's totally fair. And he's committed with Mark they... Knowles, who's a real doubles player for sure. Mm-hmm. And they just won SAP. There's actually some talk that he could be in a mixed pairing with Kim Kleisters at the Olympics, which would be a high-profile assignment for him. Interesting. And Because uh, they played together, actually, before Wimbledon. She played. She okay. actually plays a lot of mixed Wimbledon. She's done it a few times. She did it with uh, Melise, and she did it with Leighton Hewitt back when they were engaged. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, his singles is not good this year. He's 0-4 in 2012 with losses to three players who, are not, who were not even in pick-and-number territory, i.e. outside the top 100. Robbie Ginepri in San Jose, Roger Vasselin, who was number one on one in Australia, he actually got hurt after the first set of that match. And someone named David Goffin, who's Belgian, in the first round in oh. And he lost to Stepanek in three sets in Sydney. Yeah, I mean, like, I, you know, maybe he is just like, I mean, at this point, he is kind of the double specialist guy. I mean, the, he, he and Knowles won the title at the SAP on Sunday. In San Jose, um, you know, he and uh, I think it was announced. That's a, that's a, yeah, it's a nice win. It's a good win for them. Um, I think he's pairing up with Dolgopolov again at Indian Wells to defend their title. Um, and there, I mean, you know, when I, I remember last year when I was going through and, and putting together those SI uh, monthly recaps mm-hmm. at the end of the year um, for Beyond the Baseline, I just remember when I started thinking about the stories that were kind of the feel-good stories. Yeah. Uh, his win with Dolgopolov at Indian, Indian Wells was one of my favorites. And Ponytail Brothers just... forever. Huh? Ponytail Brothers beat the Murray Brothers there, didn't they? Ponytail Express. That's right. Yeah. They meet the Bert Murray Brothers. They beat um, Roger and Vavrinka. Final, yeah. Yeah, basically, looking at his track record, he had he made the semifinals Wimbledon in 2002. That was his one time to the final eight of a slam and uh other than that it's a lot of third and fourth rounds second rounds first rounds relatively evenly distributed among that he made the fourth round win last year and lost to tomich in a match that not, well not not a lot of people expected him to win once tomich was on a hot streak Melise was seen as somebody who was you know fairly token opposition at that stage oh for sure yeah so and that says a lot about you know he's someone who can get there but he's not someone i think who they're seen as having enough of an upside but this, he uh, to me is a is a guy who can maybe pull off an upset in a in a in a ATP tour event. He's not a guy to me who can pull off an upset at a Slam because I just don't see it in him to be able to battle for three sets. Has a focus, like, I don't think. yeah, it's it's a yeah, it's kind of a focus issue. His O2 Wimbledon, he made the semis and lost to Nalbandia when Nalbandia made that final. Yeah, um, he beat Richard Krychek nine seven in the quarter. He had previous wins over Rudzedski and Kafelnikov. That's a nice run. Yep. Yeah. Okay, can I read off the Ponytail Express run at Indian Wells? First round, they beat Burdich and Tip Saravich. That's a nice win. 10-8 in the, third, 10-8 in the Champions tiebreak. That's, okay? that's, that's a tough team. Next round, the Bryan brothers, Oof. who they beat 10-7 in the Champions tiebreak. Next round, the Murray brothers, who they beat 10-8 in the Champions tiebreak. Wow. In the semis, Bopana and Qureshi. Oh, Indopac. Battle of the Express. Mm-hmm. Who they beat 10-8 in the Champions tiebreak. And then in the final, they beat Fed and Stan 10-7 in the so Champions tiebreak. All tiebreaks. Tie all th- Champions tiebreaks. They beat, like, you know, a bunch of teams that are basically going to be Olympic doubles teams. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. so That's pretty good. 
that was an incredible. I mean, it, and they did it just playing like kamikaze style doubles. Like it was just like I mean, the doubles players were just looking at them like bem- like just with bemused, you know, smiles. Like I can't believe you guys are playing but like this. Fairness is the way that almost everybody looks at Dolgopolov when they play him. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, their his athleticism was amazing. It was so fun. It was just really, really fun to watch them play. I just it uh, that stood out to me. Melissa is somebody who I can't imagine will probably stick around much longer than this year once the Olympics happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he's easing, if he actually is serious about becoming a doubles player with Mark Knowles, although Mark Knowles probably isn't staying around for that much longer either. Then he's forty, right? I think so. Yeah, he's up there. Yeah. So, yeah. All power. I mean, he's gotten. You know, he's made a very. For all the people who are erratic and on-field potential, if that's what we're putting, if we're putting Melisa in that category, you know, mm-hmm. hanging on as long as he has, ten years after his last Grand Slam semifinal, I mean, there's a, there's a certain yeah. amount of uh, stick to itiveness that we're probably not giving credit for there. Yeah, true, true. And I mean, he's he's had a good career. He's won almost five million dollars prize money. Yep. Yeah, he's there you go, Xavier so, Melisa. So I mean, we're dipping a little lower than we were last week. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, here we go, Xavier Melisa and Atashvili. Okay. And once again, apologies to Ryan Harris, Ryan Sweeting. Oh, and then you try and call him Ryan oh, Harrison. Good lord, rough, man. Rough, rough day for him at the office. <laughs> at the uh, you know, challenges are made. <laughs> More like rough, rough day for at the office for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for putting this all on me. Mm-hmm. On the ATP website. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, I was looking at the ladies. Okay. That sounded weird. Back at the Australian Open, Martina Navratilova gave a press conference, and in that press conference, uh, she was asked basically about, you know... A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Um, but uh, one of the, the set of quotes that came out of that was um, her criticizing the WTA ranking system, essentially, for rewarding uh, quantity over quality. And her point was, if you look at uh, Wozniacki's wins and you compare them to Kvitova's wins and the fact that they ended the year only separated by 175 points it's a bit ridiculous that Kvitova was number two having won a slam and having beaten higher ranked players throughout the year than Wozniacki who um, they both finished at the same number of titles who didn't have a slam and generally didn't beat um, the big names can I, can, I, can I read a quote from this presser from uh, please do so please do. um Navratilova first had talked about, and I think it's important to point out, that this is not, I don't think it's as much, maybe it is, maybe it's not, I don't know if it's as much about Wozniacki as about Kvitova for her, because Kvitova is Czech, she's a lefty, she plays well on grass. There's a lot that I'm sure Martin and Navratilova can identify with there. And so someone asked her if Kvitova would be the next big star women's tennis, and Navratilova said, clearly no one, nobody feels that Wozniacki is a true number one. If we still had the same ranking point system we were using six years ago when they were giving bonus points for beating players, Kvitova would have ended up number one because she had beaten more top players than Wozniacki. Wozniacki doesn't even have that great of a record in her career over the last four years over the top ten or against the top five, whereas Petra, you really feel, imposes herself on the match and any player. And later she said, with the absence of Serena playing enough, we need some superstars that you really feel like they're holding their own. I think Petra has that possibility. And then she added on Wozniacki. She's playing better. She's going for a shot a little more. Solid as ever, but she's a little more adventurous out there. I still feel like she can go for the shots more. If you watch the tapes from her four or five years ago, she was going for broke a lot more. Then she just gets into this defensive mode. She's number one because that's how they set up the computer ranking. But again, if you had the system from six years ago, she wouldn't be. Had a system from 15 years ago, she wouldn't be. But she is the way it is. It weighs too much on quantity and not enough on quality. So she did, I mean, it was not a passing statement. It was... It was not a passing statement, but I will argue this, because you're missing another quote. Okay. Which is that... Uh, I didn't. I actually didn't pull the transcript. I just pulled that from the article. Up. I had it up and I closed it. But she says, because somebody asks her, does Caroline Wozniacki deserve to be number one? And she says, it's not about deserve. That's not the point of this discussion. At least that was my reading of it. Her, What she said was, it's not for Caroline to defend being number one. It's for the WTA to defend the system that she's number one. And so to me, I mean, I guess everybody can look at it differently. And my read on it was that, that Navratilova wasn't critiquing, wasn't really coming down on Waz. That wasn't the, the purpose of her quotes. Her quotes were really to come down on the WTA ranking system for putting Caroline in a position that 
I guess Martina didn't think that she deserved to be in. Martina makes those comments. Press conferences, pre-tournament press conferences today in Dubai, um, all access hour essentially. And Wozniacki is asked about these comments, which why are we asking Caroline about this now? She's not number one. And the WTA system is like, in my opinion, kind of righted itself. Now you have a number one who has a slam and who's dominating and nobody's questioning the ranking system anymore. The system's broken. It's a month later. I mean, I don't understand like what's the point of even asking her except to try and get quotes in order to, you know, whatever. Baiting. That's what we're baiting. railing against here. This is baiting. Yeah. And I, the whole process of doing that, I absolutely understand why it's done. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, you ask a question, you don't know what the player's going to say. Caroline could have completely deflected and said, mm-hmm. you know, she's entitled to think what she wants to think. And, you know, all I was doing was trying to do my best, and which is usually how she's deflected that question in the past. She does get it all the time. Real. And she, she does having seen get her it deal with it for she was number one for so long without with, with with constantly having this question hanging over her. Really, for the most part, never get that frustrated. She would just sort of roll her eyes, but not in a really rude way. I don't think it's just sort of a, oh here we go. No, you know I'm happy with how I'm going. Blah blah. blah. She had a nice form answer she used, and she rarely strayed from the script. But today she did, in some sort of interestingly personal ways that I thought, that I think were sort of worth talking about. Do you have what she said? I do. I have it in front of me. So she was asked about it, and she said, um, I would never say Martina was number one when there was no one playing, or that she was the best when no one was playing. That would be disrespectful. Ooh, immediately. Let's just stop there. Ooh. Okay. That's, a, that's, that's, that's just a low blow right off the bat. Fair, fair. Um, and then she went on to say... Um, she was asked whether or not she she lost respect for because basically from there it sounds like the questioning went to more you know players turned commentators you know whether she loses respect for the players who are now commentators who seem to you know rail against her or the WTA um, you know with ease <laughs> I guess um, and she said I think I have to be honest I lost a little bit I lost a little bit of respect. Because I respect what they've achieved. Navratilova won so many Grand Slams. Her touch was unbelievable. Martina Hingis was unbelievable as well. For me, my favorite player. I really respect what someone what someone else has done. I know how hard it is to reach the top level of a sport like tennis. When I was number one, they needed to make a story. So in the beginning, when I was coming up, they were saying I was the next big thing. Nobody was saying that. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> that was an editor's note. Um, then when I had been there for a while and it got boring... Then they said she hasn't won a Grand Slam because and because and because. Soon it will be if Victoria loses a match. How could she lose a match? They always have to make comments, and that's what they get paid for. And they get and they need to stir everything up. So, so what do you what do you think of what she's saying there? How do you feel like? I just think because okay, if I can just go on my little mini rant, and then we'll turn it over to you, and you can talk about what you think about go for it. what go she for said. It. But I think that because this came up last week as well, there were some reports coming out that was like what. Azarenka eyeing the Golden Slam, right? Which sounds like a really ridiculous thing because it's like, hello, you have to, you'd have to win like Roland Garros and you'd have to win Wimbledon and the before you even and, and well that right, but I mean even to even consider it, like you have to win so much to even start talking about the Golden Slam. No one's come close so, to winning Calendar Slam in so long, right? So it just was like weird, and then you click on the link and you actually read the comments, and it becomes very clear that Azarenka doesn't she didn't come up with it on her own. She didn't drop like, oh, hey, guys, like, I'm going to call up the press and say, hey, guys, I'm, I'm really, really this Golden Slam thing. Totally on my mind. <laughs> like, she never said that. Like, if you are sitting in a press conference and somebody asks you a question, you answer the question. And if, so, if you're sitting there and you're like, whatever, answering question, oh, this is how I feel about winning the Aussie. Oh, it's great. Oh, yeah, I pulled out of Fed Cup. Um, blah, blah, blah. I'm really excited for Doha. And somebody raises their hand and says, so, you know, you've, you've won the Australian Open, which means that, you know, you're the only person who's in the running to get the Golden Slam. I'm just, I'm not, I don't know if this is the question. I'm just making it up. Um, but you're the only person who's in the running for the Golden Slam. Do you, do you think about that? And, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, is that a motivating factor for you? I mean, these are how questions get phrased. And then, of course, she's going to answer it. Well, yeah, it'd be nice. I mean, you know, if you're going to ask me about it. And then it gets turned into she's, like, 
has her eye on the Golden Slam. And then it, it, can, be, what, it can be amazing it, sometimes leaving a press conference and then seeing what random tidbit the Wire story decided to highlight and really blow out of proportion. Yeah. Sometimes and then, it's absolutely uh, shocking. Like, oh, I never, uh, that was such an offhanded passing remark. Why is this the focal point of your story? Right. And, and so it was like, okay, so she says that. And then obviously, if you're on Twitter or if you go into tennis forums where there's fans, fans see this thing get tweeted out, right? Like ESPN tweets a headline that's Azarenka's, you know, aiming for the Golden Slam. And automatically fans kind of have an immediate backlash, as they should almost, where they're like, whoa, wait a second, why in the world, you know, hold on, lady, you've only been number one for a few weeks. Like, calm down, you know, that sort of thing. And so, I don't know, I just, I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. So in that way, I mean, yes, I agree with with Wozniacki in some ways on a broader scale where she says, you know, you guys have to come up with controversies to to keep things interesting. It's like, okay, I mean, I think that she was aiming that, though, towards players turned commentators, which is why I take issue with what she said a little bit, because I'm like, I don't think they have any incentive to necessarily be negative just to be negative or to be down on women's tennis, as Venus would say, just to be down on women's tennis. Let's just leave Caroline alone. Leave Caroline alone. I mean, just, I mean, and I know I say that as somebody who's like devoted a lot of ink to her, even post Australian Open and during the Australian Open, and it's been generally critical. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been critical not about the number one status stuff. No. It's more like if you want to critique her game, you can critique her game till the cows come home. That's what uh, pundits, that's what writers, that's what commentators are paid. That's what people are paid to do is to like break down somebody's game and not break down like negatively, but say this is what works, this is what doesn't want to analyze. And Avertolova is saying that, you know, really talking about what the system, what the equation used to be and why she liked that better and blaming and saying in some ways, blaming or putting the emphasis on what needs to be fixed on the WTA and not on the Wozniacki end is the mm-hmm. right sort of... It's not even really a needle of thread. It's the right way to go about that critique. And a lot of times, with Wozniacki, with Yankovic, with Safina, they say, why can't you win a slam? You're number one. When the question sometimes might be, why are you number one? iTunes, which we're on now, which is very exciting. Or uh, Twitter, we're at ncr underscore tennis. No challenges remaining tumblr.com so any of those ways to find us we will include your stuff and we're looking to do more of that in general in the future of the podcast get more mailbaggy type listener participation thoughts input all that good stuff mi casa es su casa or exactly whatever your microphone version of that was so yes me microphone es su microphone yeah like you know like definitely you know feedback is great and and we just want to have fun with this i mean in case you haven't noticed it's, it's pretty much just ben and i talking as we hit a record button yeah, <laughs> which it really is i mean this is like this is pretty much what was happening on a on a daily basis um you know on trams or or uh, uh you know late night uh, late night chinese food restaurants a sa- yes late night chinese food restaurants um that would run out of dumplings oh, but this is basically what we do yeah, and remember they brought them to our we were at this big table at this restaurant in Melbourne and Chinatown and they said oh um, we don't have any more of these dumplings this special kind of dumplings so it was the one we wanted the most I forget which kind they were they were the pork pan fried pork dumplings and uh, and they said oh wait we have one more oh wait the people sitting next to you at this big table actually just ordered those before you and we had zero left and so we had to see these pan fried pork dumplings getting brought to these other people having them eaten right in front of us. It was brutal. It was the it, it was, was the Chinese water torture of dumpling deprival. Do you wanna do you wanna tell people who we saw while we were walking to the Chinatown we restaurant? Saw a lot of people that night. <laughs> you saw it was really weird because Melbourne you get this actually I got this in Charlottesville after I left tennis last night, went out to go get Thai food with my friend and the entire UVA tennis team rolled in. We just lost. And I got to, you know and unlike this Mason where there's like one or two players, here there were like twelve players. We were like the only people left in this Chinese in this Thai restaurant. But yeah, on the way, to, sorry, sidebar. On the way to that Chinatown in Melbourne, we passed Daniela Antikova, who seemed to be on her way to a party somewhere. And uh, it was early on too, so she might have been on her way to the player party or right, something. I think it she was. was she was decked out, yeah. dressed to the nines. And Petra Kvitova, world number two, was standing mm-hmm. on a on a corner somewhere with her coaches, just talking, trying to figure out where to go get dinner. I think. Yep. And it's just like it's a weirdly small town. And remember when we had um, Italian food? Yes, when we had Italian food, it was much later in the in the tournament. 
and we saw two players peeking in the window of the restaurant, sizing it up. And they probably know something about Italian food because they were Sarah, Ronnie, and Rupert Vinci, who decided to just get go get ice cream instead. Yeah. yeah. They had just lost the doubles final. So, or no, they were just won the double semi, but Arani had just lost her single semifinal. Yes. Final, I want to say. So, yeah. yeah, but it's weird. It's weird seeing people who, and I, you know, I still, you know, feel like, Patrick, but if I see you on TV, you know, when I see her on this corner. <laughs> well, the irony of this whole thing is that we were walking to dinner and we were having this conversation about how we had to kind of be aware yeah. of the fact that we weren't, in like our living rooms like you know what i mean oh, like yeah. we were walking around people, and like watching surrounded by people and tennis people yeah. so like if you're on the tram and you're t- and you're you know saying things like saying about here. a player right or or you know i mean look we all know how we talk about tennis when no one is else is listening mm-hmm. you know you're, you're you're breaking down a match and you're like oh my gosh did you see the picture of this person it was horrible like blah 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 and you're running your mouth on a tram, like, well, you have no idea who's around you. You're doing that at a restaurant. You have no idea who's sitting there. It could be that player's agent. So we were kind of, like, laughing about that as oh, we yeah. were walking. Like, oh, we should probably take our passes off, and we should kind of, and you I was know, like, keep I was voices like, down. Okay, 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 blah, 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 blah. And then I looked up, and Hentuko walked right by me. I was like, oh, crap, you're actually right. I'll shut up now. <laughs> that was that was really a, uh, a wake-up call. So Yes. Yeah, it's just, no, it's, it's, it's a smaller world than a lot of people realize. The funny thing is, though, you get that, you get that, um, you don't, I don't feel like you get, well, you get that a little bit at at the French, but but a little bit less, but you get that at Wimbledon and you get that at, um, at the U.S. Open as well. When you're you're around the player hotels and stuff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so long as you're in a certain area. So obviously we were in the Central Business District, so that's where, kind of, like, where a lot of food is and stuff like that. And then um, if you're in Midtown in New York, you don't run into players left and right. Um, And then Wimbledon is so small. Um, that there's, you know, Wimbledon Village is where everybody goes goes out to eat. And, and, out, and, out, and outside the Grand Slams, it's, wait, it's four times as much. If you're in Eastbourne, you will see everybody else in yes. Eastbourne. Yes, so because there's one really good restaurant in Eastbourne that's an Italian restaurant that is so good. It was actually really, really good. Um, and uh, apparently it's where every single player ate yeah. because the food options in Eastbourne were otherwise Not so great. lacking. Unless you wanted yeah. fish and chips every day. Which is technically not the diet of a competitive athlete. Not technically. Not even the diet of a competitive blogger. <laughs> That'll really mess you up. There we go. We, yeah. we, you gotta, you gotta eat to win. You got, you know, you just gotta really be focused. Keep your eye on the prize, and sometimes it's, you know, you gotta issue the uh, changeover. The fats. Changeover. You gotta take a couple of bites of the banana right along with Rob. <laughs> Michael Joyce is waving the banana at you, being like, "You gotta remember the banana. Come on." You're adjusting your, your water bottle slash coffee cups yep. on your desk. Yep. It's, it's intense. A little, a little gel. Ah, good times. Well, I think we'll probably leave it there for this second yeah. episode. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you soon. Word up. Word up.